0: Hello people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to first or Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Second Thessalonians chapter one. We begin our study. in Second Thessalonians, we begin a new book. We start a new book. It's Second Thessalonians. We just got done with First Thessalonians. Now what happened with the Saints in Thessalonica is that they uh, uh, there's major prophetic implications. Major, major prophetic implications to these letters to the saints in Thessalonica. Now remember, they're a young church. They're not, they haven't been walking with the Lord for 20 years or 50 years. They've been walking with the Lord for three years, four years. We're about four years deep from the birth of the church. And what blows me away is that Paul is giving them very, very deep spiritual truths he's giving them the the meat of the word the spiritual pork chops and the beef ribs and the ribeye steaks he's giving them the meat of the word of god which is a, a stark difference to what was given to the saints in corinth now if you remember our study in first Corinthians, turn to first corinthians chapter three really quick and in First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Paul says to the saints in Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. That's do you realize how how sad that is? I mean, think of Paul, the, the depth of knowledge and wisdom, and the knowledge of the Word of God and the Torah and the Old Testament, and knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, and this well of knowledge and used of the Lord. And he's the one who's saying, I can't speak to you guys as to as as to spiritual people. You figure, wow, they're Christians, of course they're spiritual, but why why can't you give them, you know, spiritual truths? Deeper spiritual truths. And Paul says, no, I cannot do that. It's like, you know, you have a, a brand new baby, you know, freshly born baby, born last week. And it's like, you can't give that baby a poor chop. You can't say, here's some beef ribs, you know, here's, uh, sustain yourself on beef ribs. No, it doesn't work that way. The baby needs to grow teeth in order for the baby to tear at the meat and then chew the meat. To, to give a, a two-week-old baby a, 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 a ribeye steak, you're the fool. Why? Because the baby can't consume that. The baby needs milk. And that's what happens to the saints in Corinth. Paul says, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people. He says in verse 1, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now you figure they're babes in Christ. Why are you saying this, Paul? Well, they're three years arrested development. Three years arrested development. No growth, no maturing in Christ for three years. And that's just three years. We live in a day and age where people are on milk for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They've been going to church their whole life and they're still on milk. And Paul is saying, listen, I can't give you these deeper spiritual truths because you're still milk drinkers for three years, arrested development, no growth or no maturity. Now you figure, okay, shame on you, Paul. You didn't grow. You didn't raise them. You didn't train them. You didn't equip them. But what happened is that you know the 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 apostles they would go into a town and then they would share the gospel and you know people would become christians and they, they would stay there for a little bit and then they would uh, uh, appoint elders and then the elders and the those overseers they would be the ones who were tasked tasked to continue and to raise the church and so paul was in corinth and then he moved on to other areas other regions as led by the lord now you figure okay you have baby christians of baby church now you have overseers and then okay now overseers oversee according to the word of god according to the spirit of the lord elders uh, overseers pastors teachers oversee teach pour into and that wasn't happening in Corinth. You might have had people with the title, you know, pastor, elder, teacher, ministry leader, yeah, people with the title. but they were defunct. and because they were defunct as a result, there was no growth, arrested development. And so Paul caught wind of the atrocities that were happening in Corinth. Chloe. Sister Chloe, she wrote him a letter. Those in Chloe's household. Paul, there's all these things happening in the church. And then all of a sudden, now if you're listening for the first time, go back to our study through 1 Corinthians because it will help you grow and mature in Christ. But then all of a sudden, Paul says in verse chapter 3, verse 1, I can't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. In verse 2, I fed you with milk. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. Remember, we're three years deep. He says, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see? Because of carnality, the deeper truths were, Paul couldn't give it to them. You see? The overseers, they were defunct. Remember, he says to the Corinthian saints, you have 10,000 teachers. 10,000 teachers, but one spiritual father. He's speaking of himself. And when he says that, he says, like you passed in my birth canal, he says. He speaks of, now he's male, he doesn't have one. But at the same time, understand, he's speaking to the saints in Corinth as they're his spiritual children. That's how much he loves them. You see? And then he says, of course, he says, the more I love you, the more you hate me. That's what happens with carnality. You give deep truths. It's like, wow, the more I love you, the more you hate me. And that's what Paul says to the saints. And that's a problem with carnality. Now, as a result of the carnality, Paul says, okay, Remnant, now you separate from the leaven. The works of the flesh, you know, for three years, arrested development. For three years, uncorrected. Okay, the uh, 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 the sexually immoral, the uh, 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 alcohol and the extortion and all kinds of works of the flesh. He says, okay, remnant, separate from them. Not even to eat with such a person. You see? And with that separation, it's like now you have like a, a, a group of people, a remnant. And then it's like, wow, you know, okay, wow, a beautiful remnant. Yes, a beautiful remnant, but at the same time, okay, now we have to move on to perfection. Now you're still on milk, but we need to get you off milk. You see, then you get into 2 Corinthians, it's like you have deeper truths, but it's to that remnant. Very important to understand. Now, in the case of Thessalonica, you see, you see the difference between you know underneath the underneath the wing of the defunct elders and pastors of Corinth, and as a result, look what happened to Corinth. But then under the wing and you know the 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 uh, the teaching of Paul. Look at Thessalonica. They're a young church, three years deep, and they're not on milk. Paul is giving them deep spiritual truths about the last days. They're not milk drinkers. Christians for one year, two year, three year, and growing and maturing. And then at the same time, the Lord is blessing them. The Lord is expanding their faith, growing their faith. This is Thessalonica. You see what happens with carnality, arrested development. With non-carnality, with walking according to the flesh, you have no growth and maturity. And no, uh, uh, like, you know, you don't see a, 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 a growth of faith. You see faith, but you don't see the growth of faith. That's with walking according to the flesh. That's with carnality. But walking according to the spirit and being spiritual people in Thessalonica, what do you see? You see growth of faith. And in growth of faith, you also see the growth of love. And with the growth of love, you also see now these are saints who are able to be taught these deeper spiritual things. You see, we have to make these distinctions. Now, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, you pour into the saints, but you also have to make these distinctions. You see, you have to make these distinctions and not just pastors and teachers, but even when you uh, like, you know, when you talk to anybody about the Lord, you know, understand that, you know, somebody, you know, you, you can't go in and start speaking Christianese to somebody who doesn't even know the Lord. You know, first they have to call upon the name of the Lord, but they can't call upon the name of the Lord until they hear about who he is. Unless, you know, and, and, you know, how can they preach until they, uh, unless they are sent? How beautiful the feet are, 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 how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Romans 10. And then people call upon the name of the Lord. But when that happens, they're just babies. They're just milk drinkers. You see, milk drinkers, it's beautiful to be a milk drinker, but that's for babies. And then we get into spiritual Cheerios, you know, and then you get into spiritual like little pieces of meat, you know, and the teeth start to grow in little pieces of meat. And then in the course of time, you know, like the, you know spiritual ribeyes, the spiritual beef ribs. Why? Because there's teeth there, the growth and maturity to tear at the meat and eat the meat and consume the meat. The meat of the words, we make these comparisons, not for comparison's sake. But we make these comparisons to, you know, the, the, the juxtaposition so that we can see, wow, with carnality, look at what doesn't happen and what can't happen. When I say what doesn't happen, look at how the Lord, you don't see the hand of the Lord growing the faith like he does in Ephesus, in Philippi, and yes, Thessalonica. Why? Because of carnality, carnality is restrictive to growth in christ that's what happens it restricts it stunts the growth that's what happens with carnality and walking according to the flesh but walking to the according to the spirit it's a different ballgame it's a different ballgame altogether completely look at thessalonica you don't see this problem with the thessalonian saints And so when you listen to our study through First Thessalonians, all the chapters, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to those studies. If you're, you know, and also in tandem with that, make sure you also listen, you know, go back to 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up because it will help you grow and mature in Christ. But there are major, major, major prophetic implications to the letters of the saints in Thessalonica. Now what happened with Paul's first letter, it was read to the saints. And when that was read, they say, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is going to return on the clouds. He's going to return on the clouds. So you know what happened? The saints in Thessalonica, they developed the doctrine of imminency. The return of the Lord is imminent. It can happen at any given time. The return of the Lord is imminent. And so what they did is they moved. They headed for the hills. And together they head for the hills and they develop like communal living. Now, the early church, there was a lot of communal living in the early church, which I'm not opposed to communal living, but better be with dead people. When I say dead people, I don't mean, you know, according to the, you know, like, the, like, you know, corpses. I mean dead people, like people who are are carrying their crosses, have reckoned the old man dead, have reckoned the old woman dead. Now, I'm not opposed to communal living, but the people, male, female, young, old, better be dead. Because this isn't like, you know, college dormitory living, according to the flesh, according to Adam. This isn't like, you know, a social club. You see, the, the church is a holy people, non-carnal. You see, and the early church, they do, they were doing the, like a communal. They said, oh my goodness, you know, Paul's first letter, it was read. And they said, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ, he's going to return on, on the clouds. And yes, he's going to return on the clouds. It is biblically true, factually, as surely as the Lord lives, he will return on the clouds. But what happened is that these young Christians... They forgot because these things were told. You know, when Paul says, look, you don't have no need that I tell you because I've told you already. This, these young Christians, they forgot that there are qualifiers. There are other prophecies which have to happen before Jesus Christ returns. And so these saints in Thessalonica, they developed the doctrine of imminency that Jesus Christ could return at any given time, the rapture of the church. And so they they headed for the hills and to develop communal living on the hillside, you know, a good view of Jesus Christ returning on the clouds. We got we got to you know see the clouds so that you know we we can see it and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Which in one sense it's it it kind of warms my heart. It kind of warms my heart in the sense like wow uh, these are saints who you know they they heeded paul paul says that jesus christ is going to return they say okay you know jesus christ is going to return let's go ahead on the hills and wait for him but you know it's beautiful in that regard but it's also you know like okay you you, you forgot (laughs) you know there's other qualifiers too you know there's certain things that have to happen before the return of jesus christ it is not imminent at that time it is not imminent And even at this time, it is not imminent. The doctrine of imminency is spreading in the church. It's already spread in the church like wildfire. It's already spread in the church, pre-tribulation, rapture, but it is unbiblical. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you hear me say pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical, listen to several studies. There's one study; it's called uh, uh, "Jacob's Trouble: Biblically Explained." There's another study called uh, uh, "When Is the Rapture?" And then listen to our studies through First Thessalonians, and then you know Second Thessalonians, of course. But you'll understand. And for 1995, no, it doesn't. You know, it's not like that at all. And it blows me away sometimes. You hear people say, you know, like. Oh yeah, you go you know listen to these studies, listen to these studies and for 1995 we'll send you a gift. We'll send you this and this study for, you know, 1995 and we'll throw in this other gift, you know and all that. No, you know freely I have given, freely I have received, freely I give. These studies are available, you know just search for them online, you know on 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 the on this platform. Search for them, you'll see them and you know listen to them. No cost. Freely I have received, freely I give. The pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical and a lot of pastors teach it because it's taught in seminary, what I call cemetery. It's taught in seminary. It's taught in, you know, a theology school. It's taught in, in churches. Pastors teach the, the uh, pre-tribulation rapture, the doctrine of imminency. That Jesus Christ could return. His return is imminent. It can happen at any given time. Just like Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were the same. They Remember, we're, we're, we're studying the Thessalonian saints. But in First Thessalonians, it's like the town of Thessalonica. It's like, you know, Thessalonica proper. But then 2 Thessalonians, it's still the saints in Thessalonica, except it's like on the outskirts. It's not, it's like, you know, the it's not proper. It's like it's not Thessalonica proper. It's like, you know, the suburb of Thessalonica. Why? Because they headed for the hills. And they have this communal living. They're on the hillside waiting for Jesus Christ. And so it's the saints, but locale wise, different location. Why? Because, you know, in that year gap, you know, in that, you know, we're at 52 AD, but in that year gap between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, they headed for the hills waiting for Jesus Christ to return and the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of imminency. And the Lord says to Paul, Paul, write a letter. Write a letter, the saints think that I'm returning imminent, that my return is imminent. Paul, write them a letter. Paul says, okay, Lord, I'm going to write them a letter in obedience to the Lord. And so that's where we kick off here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 1. It's Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. This is the same same trio, same group as in 1 Thessalonians. He says to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, a church, Ecclesia in the Greek. It's not social club. Church ecclesia, it's a body of those who are called, an assembly of those who are called. That's the church. That's the ecclesia. Not a social club. It's, it's not a, you know, where you can, you know, you're male, you can meet, you know, all these females and the females and they dress a certain way so they get the attention of guys and they dress like this. You know, you go to church sometimes like, wow, this is like a nightclub. You know, like, you know, this looks like a nightclub. What in the world? You know, and it's like, no, that's not. This is the body of the cult, those who are called saints, called of the Lord for them to congregate and meet the assembly of the saints and meet and study and be equipped and learn to fight, learn to go fishing, spiritual gifts being given, all these things, the spirit of the Lord. Moving in the church among the ecclesia, among the saints, it's not a social club. And, you know, the church was never a social club, even though it turned into one in some cases, especially now in these last days. But we say these things for a reason, because we are a last days generation. This ministry is a last days ministry, It's to equip the saints, but it's to help you understand Where you see carnality. Where you see carnality. To encourage all of us, myself included, we're in the same boat. To number one, not be carnal. Moving on to perfection. But at the same time, to help you understand. Because a lot of Christians have found themselves in fellowships that are not good. Not good. There's no equipping. Doctrine is crazy. You know, prophetically speaking, remember there are four categories of the last days church. The last days church is false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. Now we want to be in the true. And we teach like this, and so that you can understand, so that, you know, when you're sitting in the pews and it's like, wow, this, this pastor's crazy. Wow, this doctrine is crazy. Then you can know, you hear us say jump ship, so you can know, okay, I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to pray and look for a pastor who pours into his saints. And, you know, because, you know, it is a biblical truth that it is beautiful to submit to a pastor. You know, turn to Hebrews 13. And in Hebrews 13, we see in verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. You know, this is so beautiful. Do you realize how safe it is? Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. It is beautiful when saints submit themselves to a pastor, a godly man, not a godly woman. Pastors, elders, always male. Headship, always male. Coverings in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, always male. Always male. Now, what we see is obey those who rule over you and be submissive. That's beautiful for saints to do, but it's also dangerous. Because if the formula is not right in the pastor... Do not submit yourself to that person. Pastor Jennifer, do not submit to her. That is unbiblical. So, you know, you have these qualifiers. Okay, this guy's a male. Okay, he's a pastor. But then the qualifiers, look at his marriage. His wife's crazy. His wife's a crackhead. No, because he can't keep The sanctuary of his own home is crazy town. And if the sanctuary of his own home is crazy, how can the sanctuary of the Lord be in order? You see? Okay, he's male, he's on, he's married, but you know, he's on his fifth marriage and his uh, previous four wives, are they're not dead, they're still alive. Okay, adultery. Do not submit yourself to that guy. The formula is wrong. His house is in disarray. No order in his house. No sanctuary in his house. And you think he can have sanctuary in the church? No. Because there's no order in his house. Okay. He's, you know, a guy married first wife and the wife's not crazy. They're both Christians. They believe in the Lord. Now you look at the kids. Okay. Daughter's crazy. Daughter's a crackhead. Son's in, you know, uh, doing his drugs, sexually active. And there's another daughter. She's doing the occult. Okay. Home is out of whack. He can't keep his home in order. It's like, okay. How can he have order in the church? And I'm not talking about with a heavy hand, you know, like, oh, you know, beat the kids and, you know, beat them to a bloody pulp. And if, you know, if you do crack, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp. No, it doesn't work that way. But to lead by example. To lead by example. Servant leadership in the home. And you don't see that in a pastor. Do not submit yourself to him. And that's just what we see with our eyes. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this guy, he's married. Wife's not crazy. They're all believers. They got the son, the daughter. They're believers. Okay, everything is on point with the eyes. Everything looks like it's on point. You sit in the pews and it's like, okay, you listen to the guy. He says, okay, everybody, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because once saved, always saved. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. And there are pastors today who teach that. Pastors today, in the Reformed and Calvinist camp, it it is growing. This idea that a Christian can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. It is growing in the Calvinist and Reformed camp. Which is why you hear us say to Calvinists and Reformed, come out of her, my people. Now, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, I love you, but your doctrine is crazy. Your doctrine is crazy, straight up. Listen to our study. Number, listen to a study. It's called, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear Reformed pastor say, Go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Which is a lie from the pit of hell. And for a pastor like that to say, Follow me as I follow Christ. He's following another Jesus. The kind that the real Jesus says are going to be rampant in the last days. He's following Christ, but it's another Christ. It's not the biblical Jesus. Remember, in the last days, there's many false prophets and many false Christs. So you're sitting in the pews. Pastor says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. It, it happens to be a Calvinist reformed church. It happens to be Calvinist reformed Presbyterian, which is, you know, you know, uh, Calvinism, is, you know, there's Calvinism. and You have reform, which is like Calvinism light. And then you have a, a, a Presbyterian church which is Calvinism, like, you know, uh, 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 super light. But it's all Calvinism. And I say unto you, come out of her, my people. Don't even go to those churches because Calvinism is wrong. If you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. But listen to those studies. Do not take the mark of the beast. And other studies, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand what the Bible teaches. Very important. Even more so in these last days. A lot of times what happens is that saints, they're in crazy churches and they understand like, wow, my church is crazy. Wow, the pastor is crazy and everybody, you know, all these things of the world. So I need more church government. So what am I going to do? There's usually two paths. People say, well, you know, I need more church government. So I'm going to go to Hebrew roots. I need more church government. I I don't want this craziness to happen in the church. So I'm going to go to Hebrew roots or I'm going to go reformed because I need more church government. Both are wrong. The the problem is real. You see crazy town in the church. But the solution isn't to run to Hebrew roots. The solution, listen, if you're Hebrew roots, listen to our study through Galatians, all of it, the introduction to Galatians and all of it, because you'll understand more. The solution isn't to run to Reformed. Oh, I need more church government because Reformed churches, their brand of government is very heavy-handed. And all these things, as we get further in the last events of the last days, all these things are coming into light. All these things are being exposed where church government is being exposed as a fraud. Why? Because you have carnal men. Carnal men, you know, like a husband who's abusive to the wife, abusive to the kids, sexually molesting the kids, sexual immorality, which biblically speaking is grounds for divorce. Biblically speaking, is grounds for divorce to my sisters in Christ in divorcing when that's the hap- when that happens with a husband to my beautiful sisters in Christ. You did not break the marriage covenant. He did, the husband did. He is the one who broke the marriage covenant, and biblically speaking, it is okay to divorce. Because the husband broke the marriage covenant. Now that doesn't mean to get a divorce and, you know, get you know, marry some other schmuck. No, it doesn't work that way. It means you're done. You're done. Look forward to the next marriage, which is marriage unto Jesus Christ. You see? Because, you know, oh, my husband is, you know, sexually, I'm going to get divorced and, you know, I'm going to get married Joe Schmuckatelli. No, it doesn't work that way. Whole bunches of problems arise as a, as a result of that. Which is carnality. And you have false teachers who say, Oh yeah, go ahead. You know, irreconcilable differences. Go ahead, get divorced. You know what happens? You have multiple generations who are in adultery. In adultery. Now, if, if you're divorced, you're listening, and your previous spouse is still alive, no death, you need to repent. We need to get you cleaned up. Which happens through repentance. This isn't like, you know, if you're divorced, you know, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. But... There is shame behind that. But let's get you cleaned up. There's shame behind all kinds of sin. Let's get you cleaned up. Repent, 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 repent. But what happens in, in this heavy church government, I mean, look at the news. You'll see it in the news. This heavy-handed church government. And what happens, you know, the, the husband is a is a pedophile, sexual molestation of the children. Abusive to Children. Oh, but this is um, the the, the men of God. They say this and, you know, that they go to marriage counseling and, you know, that the elders, you know, these godly men. And what's the solution? They say to the wife, wife, submit to your husband. The husband's an idiot. The husband is stupid. This is a husband who was also in ministry. He's a fool. You see? Oh, wife, this is all a problem. This is all happening because you refuse to submit to your husband. The, the wife can't submit to a foolish husband. She could submit herself to Jesus Christ. But she can't submit herself to a fool when the formula is wrong in him. But Then you have these worldly men, carnal men, who read the Bible like literature and what did they say? Wives, submit. All these problems are a result of you not submitting to your husband. You need to submit. And you don't do that? Okay, now you're excommunicated. What happens? Husband goes to prison. Convicted of a child abuse and a, a, a pedophilia. And the church protected him. On top of that, they endorse a prison ministry. this this fool is hedge, heading a prison ministry you see that's what's happening today all these things are being exposed I mean it's it's in the news look, look it up it's in the news good old reformed theology and I say unto you if you're reformed, if you're Calvinist, come out of her my people it is unbiblical Yes, God is sovereign. Absolutely, God is sovereign. You and me, we respond, we behave as though he is sovereign. You see? Oh, but Jacob, he loved, and Esau, he hated. Yeah, Jacob made his choice, and Esau made his choice. Don't forget, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we see uh, in in verse uh, 16, Hebrews 12, 16, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You see, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, he made his choice. Jacob, he loved, Esau, he hated. God is sovereign. Jacob he loved. Esau he hated. Yeah, Jacob made his choice. Esau made his choice. He was a profane fornicator. You see? Remember with Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. As a result, God hardened his heart. You see? All these things in Calvinism, reformed theology, they're coming to surface. They're proving themselves to be wrong because now you're having Calvinist teachers, reformed teachers and pastors say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. The real Jesus, the word became flesh, says don't you dare do that. You do that, that's lake of fire. Now, of whose apostleship, if I can say apostleship in terms of messenger, of whose apostleship would say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast? Those are apostles of Satan. Apostles of Lucifer. It's a trap. You see? Not just Reformed, but the you know, charismatic Pentecostals. All these things are being exposed for such a time as this. And you know, it pains me that, you know, it has to get this far for these things to be exposed. But I also rejoice because as these things are exposed, people are starting to realize, wow, you know, this ship is sinking. Which is why you hear us say, jump ship. Come out of her, my people, and not jump ship, like, you know, go in the water and you're going to sink and drown. No, jump ship. Come aboard. There is a better way. Jesus Christ, to abide in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ. You see? To grow and mature. It's very powerful to to submit to a pastor, but the formula has to be right. Just like we see in Hebrews 13, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They're not thinking about the numbers and like, okay, we got a hundred people in the church today. Okay, now next week we have a a thousand people in the church and okay, now everybody's going to tithe like this. And wow, you know, I can build my mansion. I can, you know, get my private jet and all these things. Which is happening in the church. So-called pastors with their private jets. Fools. Their God is their belly. And I fully realize and I fully understand that sometimes the things that we study and the things that we cover, very hard hitting. But we're not in Kansas anymore. Because 2,000 years ago, the saints in Thessalonica they forgot that there were qualifiers for the return of Jesus. And the qualifiers are still in existence. There are certain things which have to happen, which 2,000 years ago were far from happening. But today, right here, right now, all these things are in play as events are starting to happen and in some cases have already happened. These qualifiers... You see, this doctrine of imminency, 2,000 years ago, it was very wrong. Today, it is still wrong. But there are certain qualifiers that are little check marks, okay? This has happened. This has happened. This has happened. Okay, now, this is building up and could soon happen, and this could soon happen, and this could soon happen. And once those check marks, or check marks are ticked, it's like, okay, now, now we know. Now we know. 2,000 years ago, far from happening. Today, very near from happening. Very near from happening. So I fully realize that there's some ground that we cover in studying the Word of God that it's a jolt to the system. In one sense, I'm very cautious because I don't want a jolt to the system. But in other, you know, jolt to the system to the point where it's like, you know, uh, 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 such a shock that it's uh, immobilizing. But in another regard, I want to shock because, in another sense, it is mobilizing. You see, when we say jump ship, it's not to, you know, jump ship and you're going to sink in the water. It's jump ship, come aboard. Because we have to understand what the Bible teaches. I don't come out against the Calvinist Reformed because I hate them. I say these things against the doctrine because I love truth and I love the people. I say these things up against Catholicism because I love truth and I love the Catholics. And if you're Catholic, come out over my people. Why? Catholicism is unbiblical. Straight up. Unbiblical. No, you don't see it in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, to go to purgatory you know, and pray for your dead relatives, or to, to, to go to church and pray for your dead relatives in purgatory so that Mary can come down out of heaven, go to purgatory, unchain your dead relatives, and bring them to Jesus Christ. That is not found in the Bible. Don't do it. See? Mary told, you know, at the wedding, Mary says, this is Jesus, this is my son, do everything he tells you. And for Catholics, heeding Mary. Catholics, and I say this as a former Catholic, the Lord rescued me. Mary at the wedding says, okay, this is my son, do everything he tells you. Now, if Catholics are going to heed Mary, Do everything, just as she says, do everything that Jesus says. Jesus, knowing that the word became flesh, never says, worship my mom, worship Mary. He never says that. He never says, worship the angels, worship the saints, pray to the saints, pray to the angels. He never says that. Now, it's all over. You know, uh, old doctrine of Roman Catholicism. Vatican I, Vatican II, all the, you know, different writings. Oh, it's in the Latin. It's in the Latin. That's nice. Is it in the Aramaic? Is it in the Greek? Is it in the Hebrew? Oh, but it's Latin. And, you know, first century Latin, second, third century Latin. That's nice. Is it BC Hebrew? You see? Catholic, I don't I don't say these things against Catholicism because I hate Catholics. No, I love Catholics. If you're Catholic, I love you. But jump ship. Come aboard. There is a better way. We give you these tools to equip you so you know what to look for. You go to church, you know what to look for. You realize, oh my goodness, my church is crazy. Oh my goodness, this pastor is crazy. The formula is not right. And therefore, I can't submit to this freak. And I say freak on purpose because I speak to the Christians in one way, but then I speak to the overseers another way. Why? Because they know. They know. And in the pulpit, you have several categories. You have servants of the Most High and you have servants of Satan. Oh, so, yeah, oh, how dare you say that? You're so mean-spirited. No, 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 no. We're going to get to the pastoral epistles pretty soon, and you'll see. We make these distinctions. Those in the pulpit, they know who they serve. The pseudodelfos. Remember Paul, he, his concern, he's like, you might well put up with it. You might well put up with it. Oh, but he's such a great expositor of the Bible. Look, he's got his study Bible. He's such a great expositor and... Oh, you know, America's pastor. Oh, my goodness, he's such a great uh, uh, apologist and expositor of the word of God. That's nice. That's nice. Number one, his doctrine does not align with the Bible. Number two, he says, take the mark of the beast, you will still be saved. Number three, look in the news, what's happening with this church. All these things being exposed for such a time as this. For such a time as he says, follow me as I follow Christ, which is in the biblical Christ. You take the mark of the beast. You know what that means? You, you do that. You heed that counsel. You know, the Bible says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now he says, okay, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You do that. You heed that counsel. You know what happens? You're going to burn in hell. The Bible, the real Jesus, the word became flesh. The real Jesus says, don't you dare do that. Pastors know who they serve. They know exactly who they serve. See? That's church. It's not a social club. Not a social club. I know like in some churches, it it is a social club. But that, that only indicates that it's Laodicea. That only indicates that it's a church that is not aligned with the word of God. And so the saints in Thessalonica, let's go back to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, they have this idea, they developed this uh, uh, imminent return of Jesus Christ, let's head for the hills. And they did head for the hills. They had their communal living on the hillside, waiting for Jesus to return on the clouds. And the Lord says, Paul, write them a letter. Write them a letter, Paul. He says in verse 1, <clears throat> to the church, to the ecclesia of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very beautiful. In verse one, you see that it's in the Lord and in verse two, from the Lord, the blessings from on high. Beautiful. You see, you know, we, we, we see in verse three, he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting or as it is deserving. Why? He says, <clears throat> because your faith grows exceedingly. Translates as beyond ordinary. You see, this isn't Corinth. The arrested development where, you know, Paul says, you know, I I came with milk, I fed you with milk, and I I can't give you spiritual meats. I can't give you the deep, I can't speak to you as the spiritual people. Because you're still on milk. You don't see the spiritual growth in Corinth. You know, namely 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 you don't see that spiritual growth. Why? Because they were babies. Why were they babies? Because they were under, they submitted themselves to the defunct. They submitted themselves to the defunct. You say, wow, the Bible says submit yourself. And so that, that, that's, that's what they were doing, but they didn't look at the formula. They didn't realize that, wow, you know, this teacher, he's defunct. This pastor, he's defunct. These elders, they're defunct. They didn't realize that. And as a result, look at what happened in the fruit. Not so with Thessalonians. Under the teaching of Paul. You see? And under the teaching of Paul, faith was growing. And not just growing, exceedingly, which is beyond ordinary. You see? Under the defunct in Corinth, not good. You don't see that, you know, their faith wasn't growing in Corinth under the defunct. Under Paul and Thessalonians, good, beautiful. Faith is growing. Now, you do, you do see faith grow in, in Corinth once again, but that's among the remnant when the separation has happened. Breaking away from the leaven. You see? Where Paul, in spite of the Lord, you know, the Lord cleans house using vessel Paul. And he says, okay, separate from them. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. These works of the flesh for three years uncorrected. Okay, remnant, separate from them. You know what he says? He says, okay, remnant, jump ship. Remnant, jump ship. They want to be on that boat. Okay, that ship is sinking. They want to be on that boat. They made their choice. Okay, as for you, remnant, jump ship. There is a better way. So we see here in the saints in Thessalonica, in verse 3, because your faith you grows exceedingly. And this bubble of the Lord, this holy bubble of the Lord, speaking of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, in verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you. Because while you see the Lord is moving in the saints, in the hearts of the saints, because faith is growing exceedingly and not just faith. He says in verse three, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other or super abounds toward each other. Remember, we're talking about the Ecclesia, which isn't a social club. It's a body of the hagios saints. Set apart, a body, a group of people who are consecrated to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's hagios. That's Ecclesia. Koinonia, oneness in that body. Same mind, same spirit. He says in verse 4, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. Why? For your patience and faith, your patience, which translates as endurance and patience. For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Remember our study through 1 Thessalonians. We see it about Philipsis, which is, you know, the tribulation and affliction that we were made for this. But persecution here is to be pursued by persecution. Remember in Thessalonica, that's where we have the home invasion. The cost of being a Christian in Thessalonica is very, very heavy. Very heavy. I mean, you listen to our study through 1 Thessalonians and you'll understand. The cost of believing in Jesus is very heavy. This is home invasion territory. Jason, when he has a home invasion, remember our study in the book of Acts? And as a result of these tribulations and persecutions, he says in verse 5, which is manifest evidence. That translates as it is obvious evidence. That's tribulations, persecutions. It. As a result of these persecutions and tribulations, it is obvious evidence that of, in verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God. Now, there's two parties to this righteous judgment of God. Party number one are the saints, those who are persecuted. Party number two is the, persecutor, the persecutors, the ones who are actually doing the persecution of the saints. There are two parties to this righteous judgment of God. In verse 5, that the speaking that the tribulation is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you, speaking of the saints, party number one, that you may be counted worthy or deserving of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. This is powerful. That you may be counted worthy or deserving of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14 really quick. Acts chapter 14. and in acts chapter 14 in acts 14 look at verse 19 acts 14 verse 19 then the then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead do you see how hardcore that is now when Paul says you know I speak to you as to my spiritual children to the saints in Corinth and he says that they, they like they passed through his birth canal now he's male he doesn't have a birth canal He doesn't experience birth pains, but he's not without pain, physical pain. Of course, there's deep pain in his heart when, you know, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He says to the saints in Galatia, the saints in Corinth, he says, you know, the more I love you, the more you hate me. And all he's doing is teaching truth. Yes, he doesn't have experienced birth pains like a, a mother does. But in his spiritual fatherhood, it's not without pain. I don't want to get carnal, but if you've ever experienced or witnessed a beatdown, you know, a guy gets knocked out or maybe he's just beaten to a bloody pulp and, you know, he's passed out. You know, you could slap him around a little bit and he'll like, you know, come to like, you know, slap him around and he's like, okay, you know, he's okay. But Paul, he was stoned and they dragged, you know, I don't know if they dragged him for five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, but he was being dragged out of the city. And that whole time, he wasn't like, you know, slapped around and he came to the whole time. They thought he was dead. And they just throw his body outside of the town, supposing him to be dead. And you figure, okay, like, was he done? Was he like, okay, you know, this walk with the Lord, it's a threat to my life. So, okay, I'm done. No more. It's too dangerous. No more. No, you don't see that. He's steadfast in his servanthood to the Lord. Steadfast in obedience unto the Lord. And you see in verse 21, he doesn't stop. You see in verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, but if you have a highlighter, highlight verse 22. We must, or this part of verse 22, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to read this again. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to read it yet again. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Highlight. This part. That we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And don't forget this. Bind this to your heart. Bind this to your mind. Bind this to your bones deep down to the marrow. And know that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Because we are a last days generation. And things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But the remnant knows that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. You know why? It's not in the Bible. You will not find it in the Bible. You'll find it in seminary. You'll find it in churches. You'll find pastors who teach it. You'll see last days ministries. Who you know? They 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 teach this. You know, oh eschatology. Eschatology. You know, we study eschatology and we study this. And for 1995, we'll send you this DVD. We'll send you this for. We'll send you this in the mail. We'll send you this book in the mail for 1995. And you know, we'll give you a, a special love gift, a little pamphlet for free. As for me, freely I have received, freely I give. All these studies are available for you, free of charge. Listen, listen and understand because we are a last days generation. This ministry is a last days ministry. The return of Jesus Christ is not imminent. There are prerequisites. 2000 years ago, the return of Jesus Christ was far from happening because of other passages in scripture, other prophecies, Old Testament and New Testament. It's beautiful that the saints were waiting for the Lord. But in one sense, let's say you're a little early, guys. You're a little early. And the Lord says, Paul, they're early. They believe in imminency. Write a letter to them. Paul says, okay. And he writes a letter to them. I don't teach pre-tribulation rapture. Which is a jolt to the system. I I understand that. Because everybody teaches pre-tribulation rapture. Everybody teaches it. That's nice. I'm called to teach the living. I am called to teach the living. Can the dead bones walk? You know, Lord. the remnant of these last days, know that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Don't forget this. Now, in some regions of the world, you might be listening in a region where it's heavy persecution, where the cost of being a Christian is deadly. You can get chopped up. You know, the penalty for having a Bible is to chop your hand off. And if, you, if you're if you caught again, okay, now it's going to chop your leg off. There are parts of the world where this is happening, and if you're a pastor, okay, you you're dead. Wives are raped multiple times. Children are raped multiple times, and pastors keep teaching. Saints keep going to church. You know, they meet underground. They meet in secret. Saints in North Korea, the underground church in North Korea, where they can't have children. Because what happens, the kids, they go to school and they tell their friends. And they tell their friends, and then the friends go home and tell their parents, and then the parents tell the teachers, tell, tell the authorities. Or the kids might say something at, at school, and they, the, the, the teacher finds out, and they tell the authorities. And then the parents are arrested. Why? Their crime being a Christian. They can't evangelize like in Western cultures, like other regions can evangelize. But you have an underground church. Two people, three people meeting in a forest. It's cold and wet and freezing, and yet they meet. And we're so spoiled because we have Genesis, Genesis to Revelation. But in the underground church, sometimes they just have like ripped pages from a smuggled Bible where, you know, the the pastor met with another pastor and, you know, they shared them, but they swapped pages from a Bible, like one Bible and they rip out certain pages and then they go and they read from, you know, ripped pages of a Bible that was smuggled into the country. And it's freezing outside and then you have like three people go and meet in the forest to study the Bible. And pray in one accord, face to face. Pastors, have an underground model at the ready. Face to face. Have plans in place for face to face only. Because the persecuted church what's happening, that model of the persecuted church and the underground model, that is spreading. Spreading. You have churches now where pastors are like, listen, no more online stuff. No more online because what's happening is that the uh, uh, geolocation, the authorities, what's happening is that, you know, Bible apps on on, on smartphones, Bible apps, you know, the authorities, they say, okay, you, we're, we're going to open this market up. And, you know, yeah, you can operate in our country, but you have to give us all this data. And so the authorities, they see, okay, there's this at uh, geolocation. They say, okay, there's, you know, maybe there's a church here. So they go and investigate. and Okay, sure enough, there's a group of Christians here. Let's arrest them all. And that's what's happening in the underground where the persecution of the saints is very heavy. Pastors have these plans in place. Face-to-face only and analog. Paper Bibles. No smartphones. Have these plans in place. Because things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And on top of that, there is a famine of the Word of God. A famine of the word of God. But the remnant knows that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And in these tribulations, let's go back to, to 2 Thessalonians now. In 2 Thessalonians, understanding that in the face of persecution and tribulation that the saints endure in Thessalonica, in verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, remember the two parties, that you may be counted worthy or deserving of the kingdom for which you also suffer. In verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God or an equitable thing with God, To repay with tribulation those who trouble you. That's party number two, the persecutors. And God does clean work, cleaner than the mafia. And this will be on overdrive during the plagues of the 70th week, namely the last three and a half years. These things will be on overdrive. People say, oh, the, the, you don't see the word church after uh, in chapter 4 of Revelation. You don't see the word church, therefore the church is raptured. No, the church is under judgment. Remember Peter? Judgment comes first to the house of God. The church is under judgment. You see saints in Revelation. Now you have pre-tribulation rapture teachers, pastors who say, well, we make these distinctions with saints. You know, there's these saints of the Old Testament. There's these saints of in, 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 in the early church. But the saints in the tribulation, that's a different category. They're coming up with excuses. Reasons to support a theory when the theory itself doesn't hold water. And during these plagues of revelation the lord is making himself known the lord will make himself known and these persecutors some of them not all of them some of them will fall to their knees in repentance and when that happens the lord will relent showing mercy all in accordance to his nature as described in ezekiel 18 turn to ezekiel 18 really quick and in ezekiel 18 Verse 27 Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. You see? The Lord relents. That's when a person turns from his or her wicked ways. And these are things which will happen not among all, but among some. Some will relent and repent. Turn to Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9, we see this. In Revelation 9, verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Verse 21, they did not repent. But then you get to Revelation 11. In Revelation 11, verse 13, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. You see, repentance. In chapter 9, they did not repent. I'm not going to give glory to the Lord. Speaks of the pride. Verse 21, chapter 9. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to give glory to the Lord. More plagues happen and boom. Wow. The Lord is almighty. Just like what happened in Egypt. Just like what happened in Egypt as the Lord incrementally made himself known. The plagues got worse and worse and worse and finally wrath, judgment, The plagues got worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, wrath. Now, as the plagues were befalling Egypt, there was light in Goshen. There was safety with the camp of Israel. And before wrath came, there was Exodus and then wrath. That's the model that the Lord uses. It's not a new model. It's not a new model at all. You see, plagues before Exodus. That's what the Bible says. And we're going to have persecutors, saints of the last days. We will have persecutors, but even the persecutors, some of them will relent from their wicked ways and repent. It happened with Paul. In his B.C. days, he was a persecutor of the church. Imprison Christians, beat Christians, stone Christians, have them arrested. Men, women, and children. Now look at him. A vessel of the Lord. Preserving the church. Pouring into the church. Offering his own life for the church. Being poured out as a drink offering for the saints. You see? But also much wisdom is required in the last days. Because what's happening is that, you know, in areas of the persecuted church, they have the, the intelligence officers of the authorities, they say, well, we suspect that this is a church. And so what happens is that they have people who pretend to be Christians. They say, you know what, I, 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 I think, I, you know, I, I want to repent and receive Jesus. So that, you know, such a person is welcomed into the church. Understandably, welcomed into the church. And what happens? That guy's a spy. Sometimes it's a lady. The lady's a spy. She goes to the first church service and confirms, okay, these are Christians. The pastor says, okay, we're going to meet next week. You know, bring your Bibles. You know, we'll meet next week. God bless you. Everybody disperses. And the lady comes back. The guy comes back, except he brings the authorities with him. He was a spy. And all the churches, the church is destroyed. And all the the church disbands. Because it's illegal to be a Christian. This is happening today. You see? And so, as a result, what's happening is pastors using wisdom and the guidance of the Spirit. They're having like tears of fellowship. We have to be wise to the times. Wise to the times because these days are evil. Wicked. And it's going to get worse and i teach from america we're kind of sheltered but this bubble of protection it's it's popped it's popped it's getting worse all over the world and this is nothing this is like you know a walk through the park but it's going to get worse And so we see in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter uh, uh, 6, we see, since it is a righteous thing with God or an equitable thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled, that's party number one, the saints, rest with us. This translates as rest, relief, and relaxation, and rest. How beautiful it is to have rest in the Lord. And it's very powerful because Paul doesn't say, listen, you know, I'm going to come see you guys next week and then we're going to go to the... Hey, we're going to go to Taboka. To we're going to go to Barbados and Bermuda. I'm going to pick you guys up next week and we're going to go to Bermuda. He says, no, that we will have rest. When does that happen? In verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is, if you listen to our study to First Thessalonians, this is phase 2, the evacuation, the rescue. Right now, currently, we're just in phase 1. We're equipped, we go into the areas, we're equipped, but don't forget our fishing poles. Rescuing as through fire, sharing the good news with wisdom. And then the Lord gives blueprints for the evacuation, for his rescue. The rapture of the church. And this rest happens, Paul says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. The pre-tribulation rapture, they say, oh, look, you know, uh, know, that that happens before the 70th week. But don't forget, the living will by no means precede those who have died. By no means precede. You know what the pre-tribulation rapture teaches? That the living will precede the dead. Which is unbiblical. I mean, the theory is unbiblical, but you know, just one little part of a verse makes the whole theory unbiblical. Because the Bible says that the living will by no means precede the dead. Look at the emphasis there will by no means precede the dead. You see? And this rest that, you know, to, to give you who are troubled in verse seven, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What does this look like in verse eight? In flaming fire, taking vengeance. Remember Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not, who do not know God. This is party number two. Remember the persecutors. This is the persecutors who refuse to repent. And, and this word and is kai. Remember, inclusivity with the word kai. Those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's heavy. You say, wait a second. So if it includes those who, it's those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What about those who believe in Jesus but refuse to obey Him? You say, wait a second, but they know God. But the question is, do they know God? Because if they know God, they refuse to obey God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 really quick. And in Matthew chapter 7, Verse 21, the Lord says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, seemingly Christians, seemingly believers, by what they're doing, seemingly spiritual leaders. Seemingly... Perhaps pastors. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, cast out demons, done many wonders and all in your name? In verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds, who built his house on the rock and look at the storm comes and the rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. That what that's what happens when you're a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. When you hear the word of God and you apply the word of God to your life, that's what happens because you're founded on the rock and you will not fall. Very important for the last days generation for you and me to understand this. But in verse 26, we see, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice, the storm comes. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see, the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are those who hear the word of God And do not obey Him. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Puts things in very clear perspective. When we look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1. When we look at in verse 8, you know, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because without obedience, it's impossible to know the Lord. You see, puts things in very proper perspective. In verse 9, these, this is party number two. These are, remember in verse 8, those who do not know, good, know God and, which is Kai, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these in verse 9 shall be punished, shall be punished. This is terrifying. This is terrifying. You hear people today, oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. It's like, what? Show me. How is this legalism? It's just obedience. Look, I don't want to do crack with you. I don't want to drink alcohol. I don't want to go to the strippers. I don't want to go to the prostitutes. No, I don't want your Buddha. I don't want to worship Mary. Oh, you're such a legalist. Come on, have this glass of wine. It's just a little wine. Come on. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to defile this temple. This temple is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. Oh, you're such a legalist. I believe in the finished work of the cross. I believe in the finished work of the cross. They try to use, you know, Christianese. I believe in the finished work of the cross. So do I, but don't forget that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. I believe in the finished work of the cross when it comes to, you know, receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but he's not done. Look at Laodicea. Jesus Christ on the outside. I believe in the finished work of the cross. There's more. You see, this is very serious, very serious. This is like more serious than life and death because now we're talking about damnation. Church is not a social club, my friend. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But this is very serious business. We're talking about paradise and hell, gnashing of teeth. We're talking about heaven and weeping and gnashing of teeth, hellfire damnation. And verse 9 says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. You see, not a social club. Church is not a social club. We have to understand these things. You know, any generation, but even more so in these last days. Because church is going to be a madhouse in the last days. It's going to be a madhouse in the last days. Oh, but the Lord will rescue us. Look at Philadelphia. Revelation chapter three. Look at Philadelphia. Okay. Amen. Don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna, my friend. Tribulation. Seven churches. Five of them, the Lord says, repent, 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 repent. Five of them. Otherwise, I will remove your lampstand, he says. Otherwise, I will remove your name from the book of life. Just knowing that names can go in the book of life and names can come out of the book of life. That alone just obliterates once saved, always saved. I was having a conversation with a Calvinist recently, a teacher. And you say, well, there's multiple books, you know, there's the multiple books. So there's like the book of life, and then there's these other books and other books in heaven. What? Where do you get that? Where, where do you come off coming? You're creating all these other, like, you know, like all these other, uh, uh, the, 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 to, to build upon your theory, you're coming up with like, you know, there's a library in heaven. Well, because "once saved, always saved" is true, therefore, you know this can't be true. What? Why not just say "once saved, always saved" is not true? Because the Bible can't support that. The Bible doesn't support that. Your theory. You see, this is you know when I say I have these conversations with you know the Calvinists, I'm talking about like in in most cases pastors. In some cases, teachers, in some cases, professors. This is like a different. Like if, if you're a young Christian, like a baby Christian and young in the faith, these are conversations which would be private, withheld from you. Not to keep it from you to in a shunning aspect, but you're a baby. You have to grow and mature. It's like, you know, like like, like you know, a dad has an argument with his neighbor. You know, he's going to say, okay, son, okay, baby girl, stay in the house. I'm going to go having this discussion with the the, the neighbor. It's just a discussion. But the discussion is somewhat heated. Not like, you know, we're going to go to blows and all these things, but we're going to understand this. We're going to look deeply into this when we get into the pastoral epistles. Because to the saints in, in Corinth, Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers and yet one spiritual father. He says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth in Galatia? He says in Corinth, the more I love you, the more you hate me. You see? He says, you know, these guys are going to come in the Delphos." The servants of Satan, they're going to come in with a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit. And I fear for you, Corinth, because you might well put up with it. In Corinth, they put up with it. In Galatia, they put up with it. And that's how he speaks to the field, to the building. Remember, we make the distinction between field and worker. And that's how he speaks to the field, to to, to the field, to the building. But when it's worker to worker, when we get into the pastoral epistles, Pastor Paul, to Pastor Timmy, senior pastor to junior pastor, says, these people speak on, you know, the, the, the 10,000 teachers, you know, in Corinth. He says, these people speak on things they ought not to speak of. He says, their mouths must be stopped. It's a little different. Now, a young Christian would be like, whoa, what do you mean their mouths must be stopped? But pastor to pastor, Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. A little different, a little more hardcore. Because now we're talking about, you know, pastor to pastor and engaging in spiritual warfare with another pastor. You say, wait a second, but they're all pastors. Are they? What are the qualifiers? Because in pulpits, in pulpits, you have servants of the Most High and servants of Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub. In pulpits. You see? And don't forget, overseers can become wolves. Remember our study in Acts 20? Overseers can become wolves. And so, like, if you're a baby Christian, a young Christian, and then you read the pastoral epistles, you're like, whoa, this is heavy. This is hardcore. It's hardcore for a reason. Because Paul knows and Timmy knows. But, you know, I say Timmy, Timothy, but little Timmy, I have like a, a, a fondness for little Timmy. I've fallen in love with him all over again, deeper and deeper and deeper, because he's like a, you know, from a little kid, you know, under the wing of Paul, and now he's pastor. I mean, when you get into the pastoral, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we get into the pastoral epistles. Pastor to pastor. Senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timmy. Senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Titus. He says, these guys speak on things of which they ought not to speak. They teach on things which they do not understand. He says, their mouths must be stopped. If you're a baby Christian, it's like, "Well, that's hardcore. That's not loving. That's not loving. Oh, how mean-spirited. But they know that in the pulpit, there can be wolves. In the pulpit, they can have the servants of Satan. In the pulpit, you could have the preacher guy who comes in presenting another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. All in accordance to their father, the devil, Satan. Paul knows this. Timothy knows this. The Corinthians, they just figure, well, this guy's a pastor, so I'm going to listen to him. The Galatians, well, this guy's a pastor, so I'm going to listen to him. Even today, well, this guy's a pastor. Look, he went to theology school. Look, he's got his study Bible. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to submit myself to him. But shepherds, servants of the Most High, those who shepherd to Christ, they know this guy's the devil. This guy serves his father, the devil. This guy is a servant of Satan. And you know what? They know it too. They know who they serve. Remember I told you about this conversation? About a four hour conversation. Three hours, 45 minute conversation. And it was a a lot of it, it was a long conversation. And I was having this conversation with a reformed guy who wanted to be a pastor, expressed desire to be a pastor and had given Bible studies before and had in, in front of churches and we have this long conversation and finally at the end of it, I say, wait a second, what you're saying, you know, you, you're referring to a different Jesus and that's idolatry. Because it is not the Jesus of the Bible. And he has a smirk on his face when I said that. Remember, we're almost four hours in. And he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. He knew exactly who his father was. Satan. He knew exactly who he was serving. Satan. Unsuspecting Christians. Oh, what a learned man. Oh, what a learned man. Let's listen. Oh, I'm so blessed by his teaching. I'm so blessed by his teaching. But he's teaching false doctrine. And he knows it. And he has this smirk, a wicked smirk. I'm the guy the Bible warns you of. That was frightening. Not frightening like, oh my goodness, this guy's a wolf. But frightening like, oh my goodness, sheep, listen to this guy. Oh my goodness, lambs, listen to this guy. They subject themselves to this guy's teachings. Frightening in that regard. These people know who they are. They know who they serve. And so you hear me say these things and rail against certain teachers, pastors. Oh, you're so mean spirited. No, no. Listen, we're going to study this hardcore when we get into pastoral epistles. Because senior pastor Paul says to junior pastor Timothy and Titus, their mouths must be stopped. It's not like, okay, you know, we're going to go in you know, and beat them up, you know, and, you know, we're going to make them not speak. When Paul says their mouths must be stopped, we see in the book of Acts, we see in the epistles how the mouths are stopped. How is it? Very painful. (laughs) Very painful. Because you plead, you plead, you plead, you pray, you pray, you pray. You urge, you urge, you urge, you warn, you warn, you warn. You pour out. And you win souls for Christ. It's not, you know, their mouths must be stopped, Timmy, you know, let's go beat them up. No. Their mouths must be stopped. How does that happen? We have to tell the Corinthians. We have to tell the Galatians. We have to tell the Ephesians, the Philippians. We have to tell them. We have to teach them so that they know, so that they're equipped... So that they know what to look for and what to identify. This guy's a freak show. This guy serves his belly. This guy's a servant of Satan. This guy says, "Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved." This guy wants to take you back to the law. This guy wants to, you know, introduce the uh, uh, the, the the fake spirit, the, the the spirit not of the Lord, another spirit, another Christ, another gospel. And yet Paul says, "Only Luke is with me." Don't expect, you know, the, the age of the megachurch, that's over. These the the, the people, you know, in the, the late 90s, you know, oh, wow, megachurch, you know, that's the model, that's the model, oh, megachurch. People write all these books and they say, well, oh, how, how to start a church. You see the church planting missions and all, oh, it sounds holy, church planting. And you look at it, it's like a business model. It's a piece of cake to have a megachurch. Piece of cake. You need some capital, but it's a piece of cake. Easy. Super easy. All in accordance to the flesh. Piece of cake to have a megachurch. But there's no Jesus. No Jesus. Look at look at Hillsong. Hillsong's a mess. I would never tell anybody, oh go to Hillsong to learn about Jesus. No, go to Hillsong to learn about Satan. Go to Hillsong to learn about another Jesus. It's a trap for the last days. Hillsong's in the news too. The study Bible guy, he's in the news too. Pastors who are molesters, pastors who protect pedophiles. I'm talking about Protestant churches. I'm not talking about Catholics have been doing it forever sheltering the priest you know a priest is going to get arrested Then the priest they, they the, the catholic church the archdiocese they say okay we're going to send you to chicago now you know a pastor is going to get arrested in los angeles they say okay we're going to transfer you to chicago they're like aiding and abetting sheltering the pedophile priests priests who you know it's a joke to them these old men not you know, young men too but these old men typically usually old men and they have like the the boys, the the the, the, the laymen, you know, the, the 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 altar boys. And they have these boys, and they have like different colored crosses on them, you know. So you have like a, a kid with a gold cross, but then you have this one single kid with a silver cross, kind of a loner kid. And the loner kid, they target him. They're wolves, and they target him, and they say, okay, this is the boy. We're gonna do whatever we want with him sexually. And then the boy grows up, wants nothing to do with God. He didn't know he was just a child. He didn't know that Catholicism was doctrinally wrong. He was just a child going to church because his parents wanted him to. His parents were pleased for him to serve in the church, but little did he know that he was prey of wolves. I have to be careful when I talk about pedophilia and molestation of children because just to reveal, you know, A little bit of carnality in me. I want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner of the molester. The judge, the jury, and executioner. And I'll do it nice and slow. But I don't have to. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will. He will avenge. As surely as he lives. He will avenge. Look at the church today. Not to suggest that the Catholic Church is the church because that's unbiblical. But when I talk about pastors protecting pedophiles, that's not in Catholicism anymore. That's always been in Catholicism. It's in Protestants now. Reformed churches protecting pedophiles. You see? What a mess. Not surprising to understand that judgment comes first to the church. In verse 9, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing. This is very serious. We're talking about life and death. And yes, there's, you know, importance for this life, but I'm talking about the life to come. When we say jump ship, it's not jump ship so you can sink in the ocean. It's jump ship, come aboard. Because we're on our way to paradise. We're going to paradise. You see? There is a better way. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. If you're listening to this message and you're not a believer, hit pause, listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. People get mad at me all the time. Oh, don't talk about hell, don't talk about hell. Tell 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 them that God loves them and, you know, tell them, you know, all the the the, the beautiful things, tell them about all the, you know, the sparrows and the lilies and tell them this and, you know, just love them to heaven. Okay, I I'll, I'll love you to heaven. I'll I'll do exactly that. I'll I'll love you to heaven by I'll, I'll love you to paradise by telling you. I don't want you to burn in hell. And people get mad at me all the time. You know, God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But the question is saved from what? A rainy day? Saved from what? Hell. Everlasting destruction, punishment. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Saved from that. Hell. Damnation, condemnation, destruction, lake of fire. Saved from that. You see, judgment is coming. Jesus Christ says the last days are going to be like the days of Noah eat, drink, be merry. Everything is fine and dandy. Oh, Noah, you're so stupid. Noah, why are you building a boat here? The ocean is way over there. Why are you building a boat right here? And only your family is helping you? How, you know, you're building that boat here. The ocean is way over there. And how are you going to move that boat? You're building a boat here for nothing. How are you going to move that boat from point A to point B to get it in the water? Noah, you're so stupid. Come on, let's go get drunk. Let's go get baked. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on. Let's go get baked. Noah's like, no. Nope. No. Nope. This temple is to the Lord. This body is for the Lord. Okay, Noah, you're stupid, but you know, that's fine. The town people meet. Everybody's making fun of Noah. What in the world? The ocean is way over there. He's so stupid. He's so crazy. Remember he's a preacher of righteousness And everything's fine and dandy Until the rains come And then the rains come Picture people when the rains come It's raining cats and dogs And people still laughing Yucking it up Yucking it up Maybe a little Snide comments. Oh, you know, maybe maybe Noah was onto something. We look at the look at the size of that puddle outside. Maybe Noah's onto something. Oh, you know, pass me over that crack. Let me get another hit of this. Let me get another another hit of that. Hey, cook this spoon for me. Now, now the now the puddle is ankle deep. Oh man, maybe Noah's onto something. Hey, you know, cut me another line. Now it's knee-deep. Now people are starting to get concerned. Whoa. This is pretty serious. Now it's waist-deep. Whoa. We've never had this before. Now it's chest-deep. Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. We were wrong, Noah. Now it's no longer chest deep. Now you have to swim. You can I mean, when you when it's chest deep, when it's waist deep or chest deep, you could bang on the door, you could bang on the boat. Let us in, let us in. But when you're swimming, you can't do that anymore because you need a paddle. Noah, let us in, let us in. And finally, you can't do that anymore. And you can paddle, you can swim, but you're going to get tired. And finally, it's not so funny anymore, is it? You see? Now, they believed. But when the time to believe, when that time was, the the door of the boat was open. The door of the ark was open. The time to believe was then. When they're sinking, when they're like five minutes away from death, it's too late because that door is closed. And people get mad at me. All Christians, they get mad at me. You're scaring people to Jesus. You're scaring people to Jesus. It worked wonders for me. Because to be outside of Christ, that's scary. I'm just going to teach truth. You hear us say, you know, jump ship, get in the ark. You hear us say all the time, jump ship, come aboard, get in the ark because the time to believe is now there is coming a time when the door will be closed it's not going to be open forever the time to believe is right here right now the time to believe is not when you're you know neck deep and sinking because then the door will be closed you see this, the church age is coming to a close. The fullness of a Gentile. The fullness of the Gentiles. The time to believe is right here, right now. If you're unbelieving. If you're unbelieving because you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're unbelieving because you are disobedient to Jesus Christ. You hit pause and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Right here, right now. And then... Come aboard. Welcome aboard. We grow and we mature and we equip together. Don't forget our fishing poles because these days are wicked. These days are evil. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And false doctrine is spreading like wildfire. But the remnant knows. You see? So when will all these things happen? We see in verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints. Now, pre-tribulation rapture, people, I don't want to come against the pre-tribulation rapture, like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. But I do want to come against the doctrine and say, how dare that doctrine exist because it doesn't hold water to the truth of God's holy word. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, and people say, oh, the day of the Lord is different from the rapture. Don't forget, the living will by no means precede the dead. Does that mean that Jesus is not glorified for seven years? Because in verse 10 says, when he comes in that day, the day of the Lord, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, does that mean he's not glorified for seven years if the pre-tribulation rapture is true? The pre-tribulation rapture is not true. Remember... The reconnoiter of these saints in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians, that's, that's Thessalonica proper. Second Thessalonians, that's the outskirts of Thessalonia. Thessalonica. Why? Because they developed the head for the hills mentality, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can return at any given time. And the Lord says to Paul, Paul, write them a letter. Because they forgot what you told them. Write them a letter. There are qualifiers. The Lord will return absolutely, as surely as the Lord lives, He will return. Remember the angels in the Book of Acts, the disciples before they came up, the apostles. You know Jesus Christ ascended on a cloud, and then the disciples they were kind of bummed out, and then the angels come and they're like, "Why? Why do you marvel? I love it so much. Why do you marvel?" The same Jesus you see is going to come back in the same manner on the clouds. He's going to come back in the same manner. He told you this. I love that so much because you know the angels don't come down and say, "Well, let's measure the you know the the geometric pressure, the ge- geo atmosphere, the atmospheric pressure, and let's measure the cloud and this and this and the circumference of this and that." No, they're just point blank. Hey, why do you marvel, you guys? Why do you marvel? This same Jesus is going to return in like manner. Why do you marvel? What's the marvel about? He said he would. He said he would, and he's going to do exactly what he said. Why do you marvel? He said he's coming back. I mean, for the for the disciples, when remember they were like wondering, like what is Jesus talking about when he said that you know he must die. He was giving them prophecy that he's going to die, but they didn't yet understand it. And then when he died, they were bummed out. But he told them that he would die. And there were indicators that he would rise again. But they didn't understand it yet at that time, in real time, when they were going through and learning. They didn't understand it. But then they understood it when they saw it with their eyes. Oh, my goodness. The empty tomb. Remember, the men, they were scaredy cats. They were hiding. Who were the first ones to see the empty tomb? The women, the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women, warrior women tough i love tough i love tough the men scaredy cats not tough the beautiful women tough 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 just like chloe just like lydia like priscilla like hannah like ruth like zipporah i like tough the men were scaredy cats the first ones to see jesus christ and the empty tomb Beautiful, 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 gorgeous women. And I don't say gorgeous in a carnal sense. I say gorgeous in a spiritual sense. Because, listen, you know why the men were scaredy cats? Because there was the religious leaders and the Romans. And look what they just did to Jesus. They were scared of, you know, being the beatdown of the flesh. They were scared of being treated just like Jesus was. And I understand it. I get it. But the women... They counted the cost. They knew the cost. The men counted the cost and they were scaredy cats. The women counted the cost and they were like, hey, I don't care. I love Jesus. I don't care. That's hardcore. Tough cookies, these ladies. I like tough. That's just me. And these beautiful women, you know, they go, hey, the dude, Jesus, he's alive. The tomb is empty. And then the men, they got to see it with their eyes. And then the men, I love this so much. And then they start to put two and two together. And then they realize, oh yeah, he said this. Oh yeah, he said this. And then they saw him. Remember Peter, when they're on the boat? And then they, they see a guy walking on the shore and they say, hey, that's Jesus. And all the guys start paddling, we got to get to Jesus. And Peter just jumps out straight up. He just jumps out and swims to Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Then he's kind of bummed out like, yes, you know, Lord. Do you see something that, that I don't see? And then the Lord says, feed my sheep. It's hardcore. And then finally his ascension in the cloud. And they were like marveling like, oh my goodness, he's leaving, he's leaving, he's leaving. The angels are like, what? why do you marvel? You, know, do you Don't you remember when you, when you walked with him? He said he would die, he would rise again. Remember, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it again. Everybody's like curious, like what? The, the, the temple took like decades to build. But he was speaking of his body. He was speaking of his body. The disciples remembered after the fact. Oh yeah, Jesus did say this. Oh yeah, they started to put two and two together. Oh yeah, he did say it like this. Oh yeah, he did say it like that. And then all of a sudden the angels, you know, Jesus ascends. And the angels are like, why do you marvel? Look, he said he was going to come back again on the clouds. Why do you marvel? He is going to do exactly like he said he's going to do. You see? And that's what we see in verse 10. When he comes in that day. You see? When he comes in that day. When is that? It's the same as verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels riding on the clouds, just like we studied in 1 Thessalonians just like we studied in First Thessalonians. Oh, but the pre-tribulation rapture, this is different. The rapture is different from the day of the Lord, not according to the word of God. In accordance to the theory, it is. But that's just a theory. But in accordance to the word of God, no, it isn't. The living will by no means precede the dead. The pre-tribulation rapture goes against Scripture in saying that the living will precede the dead. Oh, but those are different saints. There's different categories to sainthood. What do you see that in the Bible? Oh, but those are tribulation saints. The word church isn't found in Revelation after chapter 4. In chapter 4. You know why? Because the church is raptured. No, no, no. The church is under judgment. Because you have pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Because you have pastors who say, go grave soaking. Because you have pastors who say, God is done with Israel. Because you have pastors who pray on children, little boys and little girls. Because you have pastors who, 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 who shelter pedophiles. Freak shows in the pulpit. Servants of Satan in the pulpit. The church, you think God's not going to judge You think God's not going to judge No, judgment is coming to the land, absolutely, 100%. But judgment comes first, first, to the house of God. You see? And all of a sudden, in verse 10, we see, When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired admire and to be admired among all those who believe. This is belief with obedience. This isn't belief with disobedience. Like Jesus says, you know, uh, those who believe and don't do those, that's judgment. That's, you know, punishment. But to believe and do, that is beautiful. Just like Brother James says that, that the two are inseparable belief and obedience, also known as faith and works. Belief and obedience. You see? And this is rest. In verse 10, in that day to be glorified in the saints and to be admired among all among all those who believe, that's rest from verse 7. That's, you know, to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's when he comes back riding on the clouds. And those who have died are going to rise first. And then the living will be joined with them together in the air, forever to be with the Lord. Pre-tribulation says, oh no, the, the, the rapture happens before the 70th week of Daniel. The living do precede the dead. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. The theory doesn't hold water. The theory has been tested with Scripture and found wanting, placed in the balance of the truth of Holy Scripture and found wanting. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to those studies that we referenced. The first one being um, uh, uh, Jacob's trouble biblically explained. The next one being when is the rapture? And then all of 1 Thessalonians. And then, of course, 2 Thessalonians. Listen, 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 listen. For 1995. No, it doesn't work that way. Free of charge. Freely I have received. Freely I give. Listen, it's free. It's free. He says in verse 9, Because our testimony among you was believed. Do you know how dead these guys have to be? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy? For their testimony, which they spoke, and for their testimony, which was written with Paul when he would write these letters, for the saints to believe what they say, for the saints to believe what they write, for the saints to believe them, and in so doing, they're aided in their journey into paradise? These saints, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, these are saints who could very easily say and do say, follow me as I follow Christ. It is safe to heed the words and the writings of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. It is safe to heed, you know, just like we read in Hebrews 13, to submit yourself to these teachers who watch out for your soul. It is safe. These are biblically qualified men, 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 male, coverings always male. No female pastors, no female elders, unbiblical. But for for Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to be so dead, be crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says. And when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, it is safe to heed his words. It is safe to heed the words of Sylvanus. It is safe to heed the words of Timothy. You see? But don't forget that even Paul pins qualifiers on him and them he says if we if i we if we teach any other gospel than what you have heard let even if we he says let them be anathema i love that i love that so much because Right now, what happens is people say, oh, this guy, he's such a great expositor of the Bible. He's such a great expositor of the Bible. Look, he has his study Bible, and I'm going to do everything that he says. And now, as these things are being exposed, he says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And all these things are being exposed. Oh, he's such a great expositor. I'm still going to follow. I'm still going to follow. But Paul doesn't say that of himself. He says, even even among us, if we present another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. You know why? Because we follow Christ. He is the good shepherd. And we follow him. Formula, 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 formula must be right. In pastor, in teacher, in elder, the formula must be right. Now, where it is right, it is safe to follow the writings and the teachings of Paul and the teaching, what he says, what he writes. It is safe to follow Paul. It is safe to follow Silvanus. It is safe to follow Timothy. We're living in a day and age where there are no sons of... uh, 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 Turn with to me really quick to first, uh, first chronicles chapter 12. Issachar. First Chronicles chapter 12. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, this is what we see in, in verse 1. Now what's happening here, David is, he's he uh, this is before David became king. Uh, in first chronicles chapter 12, this is be a reference to when David before David became king. <clears throat> and in verse one we see now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul the son of Kish. Now David's kingship was already told that he would be king. David would be king except Saul didn't want that from happening. You see Saul, Saul prevented that attempted to prevent that from happening. A type of antichrist. You see, Saul didn't want that to happen. Now it was, it, it was told that David would be king, but Saul, no, 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 not on my watch. He tried to prevent that from happening, but yet there were certain men who came to David at Ziklag in verse one, while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. Now, you have from different tribes, these men who came, you know, Saul wanted to prevent David from becoming king. Excuse me. Saul wanted to prevent David from becoming king. And so, a type of antichrist. And yet there were men, men of war, helpers in the war who came alongside David and already acknowledged, yes, we know, David, that you're going to be king. We know that it was told that you're king. And you know what, David, we acknowledge you as king. But yet he wasn't crowned king yet. And certain tribes were participants and helpers in the war and these tribes and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then we see in verse 32 of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. These are men who have understanding, wisdom, and, you know, special sensitivities in terms of a compass. You see, their chiefs, it says in verse 32, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Now, this isn't a pride thing. This isn't the sons of Issachar saying, Oh, look, we're awesome. Follow us. No, this is the sons of Isgar in humility who have this understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do and to have these sensitivities in terms of a compass. This is where we go. We go here. We do this. We go here. We do this. We go here. We wait here. We wait here. We go here. We move. Very special sensitivities in terms of a compass. No pride. And in this camp of the warriors where you have the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, we see in verse 38, all these men of war who could keep ranks, notice order, who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart. What's the objective? What's the mission? To make David king over all Israel. This is what you look for in a pastor. This is what you look for in a pastor. To make Jesus, son of David, son of man, son of God. King in your heart. And then they also prepare for the return of the king. The king of kings and Lord of lords. That Jesus Christ is crowned king in your heart. But just as the sons of Issachar who have understanding of the times, who know what Israel ought to do, they're also preparing for the return of the king and crowning Jesus Christ at his return, literally, physically, king of kings and lord of lords. It's done spiritually today through belief and by faith. And it will happen literally. But to believe in that day, it will be too late. The time to believe is now. Just like David when he'd go to war. i I'm, I'm listened to, to the preacher guy, you know, speak about the, uh, the foreskins of David when he'd go to war and come back with sackloads of foreskins. And say, said, well, that's an attack on that masculinity. It's to emasculate the enemies to say, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. No, 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 no. Remember, circumcision is belief. But it's much better to be circumcised while alive. Because the dead are circumcised. Except for them, it is too late. Remember Lazarus and, the rich, uh, Lazarus and the rich guy? In life, while living, it seemed that, you know, the rich guy, he's got it good. But when that expired and Lazarus and the rich guy died... The rich guy believed, circumcised, but it was too late. It was too late. You see? This is what you look for in a pastor. All these qualifiers, all these qualifiers that we have in in the Word of God. That Jesus Christ is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your heart. In your heart. And if he's king in your heart, that means he has lordship, which is good, which is beautiful. But he's going to be crowned king of kings and lord of lords physically. That day will come. And it will come to pass. It will absolutely come. And we will have rest. But don't ever, ever forget that we must, through tribulation, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of heaven. You see? And you see in verse 38, still in First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 38, that these, you know, they, they came to Hebron with a loyal heart, men of war. And the rest of all Israel were of one mind to make David king. You see, one mind, oneness in the camp of Israel to make David king. Now, it was already told that David would be king, but it was not all accepted. Saul said, no, not on my watch. That's not happening. A type of antichrist. Wanting to be king. But these men of war, they made preparations for the return of the real king, King David. David. The same will happen with the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, returning as the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. It will happen again as surely as the Lord lives. We speak today; it will happen as surely as the Lord lives, every jot, every tittle, as a future event. But it'll come; it'll be a history. It will come to pass. Look at the prophets prophesying about you know a, a child will be born. The, the child has been born. For Isaiah prophesying of a future event, well the 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 child has been born. The seed came and the seed died. Remember the law was added because of trespass until the seed. You see. We have to understand what the Bible teaches. Where in the world are the pastors? Where in the world are the overseers? Where in the world are the shepherds? Where in the world are the sons of Issachar? Where? You see? The sheep are scattered. But even that is prophesied. The sheep are scattered and asleep. And even that is prophesied these days are evil. Satan he's isolating saints. Why? Because Saints together as one in one accord in one spirit that's a heavy fight for Satan and he knows it. so what does he do? He isolates isolate, 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 isolate. Why? Because it's easier to pick off one by one. That is, it's warfare. it's warfare. Where are the warriors? That's what I want to know. Male, female, I don't care. Where are the warriors? Now, I'm not speaking about overseers. Overseers, that's a different different category. I'm talking about warriors, fighters. Male, female, I don't care. When we talk about overseers, always male. Still men of war. But don't forget the second census of numbers. First census, dead. Second census, the inclusion of female life passage into the promised land you see and so we continue our study in second thessalonians chapter one And we see in verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in the saints and be uh, and to be admired among all who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. You see, vessels of the Lord are obedient to their master, all in accordance to his word. Paul, who says, follow me as I follow Christ, it is safe. The guy at the pulpit who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be safe. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. You follow him and that council, you're going to burn in hell. You have to be Bereans. You see? You see, verse 7 says that Jesus is revealed with his mighty angels. Verse 10 says when he comes in that day where he's glorified with the saints. And verse 9 said that there's punishment for the non-believers. Disobedient. You know what's so interesting? There's no mention of a pre-tribulation rapture at all. Why? Because the theory in itself is unbiblical. You know what's happening among pre-tribulation? They're turning even more crazy. They say, "Oh well, that, these, are, these are different saints." There's these different categories for saints. They're, they're creating these tertiary doctrines. Asegesis. They're adding to the text. And they're getting crazier and crazier. Why? Because you know there are pre-tribulation rapture, and they say like they're starting to see, it's like, wow, we're not supposed to be here. All these things that we see happening in the world that we're not supposed to be here. And what breaks my heart is to listen to the pastors, listen to the teachers, the ministry leaders. And they say, well, you know, there's these events happening in the world, which is a type of what's going to happen because we're still here. Oh, these things are happening. This is happening here. This is happening here. And... This is a type of what's going to happen because we're still here. We haven't been raptured yet. What? Why not just abandon the pre-tribulation rapture? Stop selling your DVDs for financial gain. Stop selling your, you know, your DVDs, your CDs, or, you know, whatever. Your books. Filthy lucre. They look at these events and they say, well, look, this is happening in the world, and but it's a type of what's going to happen because we're still here. And I've had these conversations with the pastors, pre-tribulation rapture pastors. And they say, well, it'll be permissible to take the mark of the beast or this version of a mark or this precursory sign of the mark of the beast. It'll be okay to take it. You know why? Because we're still here. We haven't been raptured yet. Very, very dangerous doctrine. It's a trap. And the pre-tribulation rapture theory, what's happening is it's helping to fulfill a future prophecy found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, where there will be scoffers in the last days asking, where is the promise of his coming? The pre-tribulation rapture theory sows the seeds of this other prophecy of the scoffers. Where is the promise of his coming? also aids in the another prophecy of the falling away very dangerous times that we live in today the pre-tribulation rapture pastors today pre-tribulation rapture ministry leaders today are sowing the seeds of distrust in themselves Because when they are proven to be wrong, what's also proven is that you cannot follow their counsel. You see, when they're proven to be wrong, what is also proven is it is dangerous to heed their counsel and guidance. Why? Because they've been wrong this whole time. And I don't say that to be like so jolting, but I say it because there's a lot of saints whom I love, and I've been called the devil. Oh, you don't believe in pre-tribulation rapture? You're the devil. I've been called that. That's fine. You know, they make fun of me, call me names. That's fine. But I say this so that you can remember, because when the when peace comes to Israel in this confederation, which can happen very soon look at what's you know you see all this stuff happening with you know uh, uh, russia ukraine and kazakhstan afghanistan and china and what you see magog is growing right before our very eyes magog is growing on top of that you have the euphrates river which is drying prophetically speaking, is to make way for the kings of the east. But you look at Jerusalem. You look what's happening in Israel. A confederation under the Abraham Accords. A confederation of nations all wanting peace. Peace agreement with Israel and Palestinians. The the peace agreement. Under this confederation of nations, which is verbatim Daniel chapter 9. confederation of nations or this treaty under the confederation of nations once that happens false doctrine is going to be exposed and as we get further in a three and a half year I mean look at they're already having third temple funding there's already third temple prefab prefabrication of the third temple there's you know funding for the third temple the building of the third temple so Peace treaty happened, the, the, the peace agreement with Israel under this confederation. Once that's signed, pre-tribulation rapture is out the window. It's got, it is proven false. Now, what we're going to start to see when you see the peace with Israel and her neighbors and the world is going to love it. Oh, peace and safety, peace and safety. They're going to love it. And then you're going to see, well, you know, it's announced, you know, that there's the building of the third temple and it's going to start to be being built. Probably shortly after. I mean, it will be built or, you know, in the, in the process of being built in entirety in the middle of the 70th week. But to get to that point, there has to be, you know, some, some, some building prior to that. So once the peace agreement happens, a couple years later, you're going to see maybe even sooner, maybe even like, you know, a couple months later. But you're going to start to hear more things about the third temple in Jerusalem. And that's, that's like the line of like pre-tribulation rapture, officially over dead. That is done. Now, the teachers today, the pastors today, the seminaries today, the theology schools today, the professors today who teach and proclaim pre-tribulation rapture when that time comes where it is proven to be false by what we see on the world stage, those teachers, those pastors, have proven themselves to be not proper guidance. They've proven themselves to be untrustworthy. Now we're at a pride situation where these ministries, these pastors, it's like a pride thing. Oh, no, no, no. I went to, self. look, I got my degree. I got my master's degree. I got my doctorate in theology. And my seminary told us pre-tribulation rapture. And no, it's pre-tribulation rapture. And they say, well, I know the Bible says that the living will by no means precede the dead. So I know that. But in order to make this triangle fit in the circle and I'm going to jam this like this, which doesn't fit. But they do it anyway because of pride. Not against me, pride against the word of God. They say, well, those are different saints. They make these distinctions. They say, well, those are different states, these different stages of sainthood. There's this saint, there's this saint, and there's the tribulation saints. But the Bible says that the living will by no means precede the dead. Oh, but that's beside the point. In accordance to the theory, the living will precede the dead. And they're digging their heels in. Mostly pride. But you're going to have few, very few, that are currently pre tribulation pastors. And they teach a pre tribulation rapture. And when that doctrine, when that theory is proven to be false, look for humility. Because you're going to have pastors who say, hey guys, I was wrong. I have repented. Forgive me. Look for humility. That will be rare, but look for humility. But the pre-tribulation rapture pastors and teachers and ministry leaders of today are sowing the seeds of future distrust because they will proven that they will be proven themselves not just to be wrong. But they can't be trusted because they guided wrongly at a time where guidance like the sons of Issachar today, you know, are, you know, it's good. But the sons of Issachar, when we're in the 70th week, will be of severe necessity. The sons of Issachar in the last three and a half years will be of severe necessity. And they will be rare, very rare. Extremely rare. But they're out there. You see? And so we see in verse 11, Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. This is so powerful. That our God would count you worthy of this calling. Now, you know, I teach from America and, you know, people always say, you know, why would God allow us to suffer? Because they forget, you know, that, that question, why would God allow us to suffer? That's a question of the carnal and the unlearned. Because history, history shows, history declares there is major suffering in the church. But you don't have to look in the history books. It's happening today. Major persecution is happening today and you figure the saints remember there it's dangerous to be a christian in thessalonica <clears throat> you figure <coughs> excuse me you figure the saints would want paul to you know paul pray for our safety paul pray that you know we we'll you know that you can come visit us and you know that we can all go to barbados and just like you live on an, on an island a nice beach and you know just relax and take it easy no there's there's rest and there's relaxation but as verse 7 says, it's when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's rest. And you figure like in verse 11, when when Paul says, you know, we pray always for you that God would that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Don't forget verse 5. Don't forget verse 4 and 5 where you see there's major persecution and tribulations that the saints endure which is manifest evidence in verse 5 of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you suffer, understanding Acts 14, what we read, that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And you figure the saints might say, Paul, can you pray for us that we get airlifted to Barbados? Paul, can you pray for us that we get airlifted to Boca? Paul, can you pray for us that we get airlifted to Seychelles? And Paul says, no, we pray for you. That God would count you worthy of this calling. You see? Instead of, Father, you know, take them to Barbados. Father, take them to Seychelles. He says, no, Father, let them be worthy of this calling. In the faith, in the face of tribulation and persecution... That they endure. And remember, their faith is growing. Look at the safety in Corinth. According to the flesh, carnally speaking, look at the safety in Corinth. Look at the horn in Thessalonica. Carnally speaking, you'd be like, wow, you know, I want to live in Corinth because it's nice and safe. But then you look at Thessalonica where it's dangerous to be a Christian and you see faith is growing. Faith wasn't growing in Corinth. But faith was growing in Thessalonica in the face of persecution. No persecution in Corinth where it's safe. Carnally speaking, oh wow, I want to live in Corinth. I want to live in Corinth where it's nice and safe for my little feelers. I want to live in Corinth where it's nice and safe. But then look at the doctrine, look at the arrested development, look at the no, no faith growing. And verse three, you see, their faith is growing exceedingly, which is beyond ordinary. Their love is abounding or super abounding. And the Lord is doing a mighty work inside the hearts of his saints, inside of those temples, inside of his temples, the Lord is doing a mighty work inside the ecclesia in the body of the hagios. But you look at Corinth, where everything's fine and dandy, everybody gets along, and look, you're not going to get a home invasion in Corinth. Look, you're not going to get this in Corinth. Yes, it, you know, it's, there's a cost to being a Christian, but it doesn't compare with Thessalonica. You see? we must through tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And when Paul prays for the saints, he says in verse 11 that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Even in the face of tribulation, not, you know, Lord, airlift them to Taboca. To Lord, airlift them to, you know, Barbados, Bermuda, the Virgin Isles. No, Lord, Father, let them be counted worthy of this calling. We see in verse 11, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith, which is growing. Remember, verse 3, their faith is growing. Paul and James are in one accord. Brother James says, you know, faith and works. Faith without works is dead. The two are inseparable, belief and obedience. Paul and James are in one accord. You know why? Same spirit. What Paul writes is in one accord with James, with one accord with John, with one accord with Isaiah, with one accord with Amos, with one accord with Moses, with what? With Peter, with James, with John, with Luke, with Matthew. Mark. Why? Same Lord, same Spirit. But then you have a guy who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's another spirit. Then you have a guy who says, let's go grave soaking, the soak up the spirit of the dead people. That's another spirit. Then you have a guy who says, God is all done with Israel. That's a different spirit. You get the money preachers, oh, God wants us to be nice and wealthy. That's a different spirit. Name it and claim it. That's another spirit. You see? And you see this beauty of their faith, which is growing. But notice in verse 11, with power. Plenty of oil for their lamps. Plenty of oil for these beautiful lamps. Where was the oil in Corinth? Where was the oil in Corinth? Notice the three years. Just take three years. Three years, Corinth. Three years, Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Spiritually speaking, analytically speaking, where is the oil? Where is the oil? You see, oh, I want to live in Corinth where it's nice and safe. I want to live in Corinth where it's nice and safe. No home invasions in Corinth. I don't want to live in Corinth where look I don't have to deal with the home invasions I don't have to deal with the rowdy crowds and look it's eat drink be merry I can you know I can be free I can do this I can do that I'm free I'm free I'm free but where is the oil you see look at the oil in Thessalonica Look at how the Lord is moving. Remember, the saints, 1 Thessalonians, that's Thessalonica proper. 1 Thessalonians, that's Thessalonica proper. 2 Thessalonians, I have a little bit of a tongue twister. So when I say like Thessalonians, I just want to say like Thessalonians. So when I say it sometimes, I say it, sometimes I say it fast. I say like 1 Thessalonians, like I have to stop myself and like enunciate first. Thessalonians. Thessalonians. So that's why. I mean, you think like, wow, this guy's kind of weird. That's why. Because I, I, if I say it fast, like I talk, for, sometimes I get an idea in my head. And, and like, you know, I got to say it. And it's like, okay, first. And it's like, okay, I got to like enunciate. First Thessalonians. That's. And then, you know, first Thessalonians and then Thessalonica proper. So it's like in my head, it's like, I just want to say it really fast. It's like first Thessalonians, Thessalonians, Thessalonica proper. So it sounds weird. It's like. But first thessalonians is thessalonica proper second thessalonians paul's second letter to the church who had adopted the the idea of the imminent return of jesus and the lord says paul paul write them a letter that is not thessalonica proper it's like the outskirts in the boonies because they had the head for the hills mentality we're going to go live on the hillside and wait for the return of jesus christ Because he's going to come riding on the clouds. And yes, he will come riding on the clouds. And yes, there will be rest when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When he returns on the clouds, the dead will be will rise first. And the living, which will by no means precede the dead, the living will join them and forever be with him in the air. In accordance with the word of God. No pre-tribulation rapture. But understand, too, at the same time, you see how the Lord is doing a mighty work in the Thessalonian saints. The Lord is at work in their hearts, in the temples. It's not to say that the Lord couldn't do the work in Corinth. Corinth. But you see how the flesh, the flesh, the flesh was a blocker. The flesh was a blocker to the things of the Spirit. The flesh is at war with the Spirit. And where you see the flesh in Corinth, you don't see the oil in Corinth. Where you see the Spirit in Thessalonica, You see, the oil. You see, we make these distinctions between towns so that you and me, so that we can understand this war that rages within us, the war of the flesh and against the flesh. The flesh is always at war with the Spirit. But I want oil for for all of our lamps. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of oil for our lamps. Do you know what restricts that? Our flesh. My flesh, your flesh. But when you and me together, I don't care about aunts and uncles. and I mean, I do, but for sake of argument here. I don't care about aunts, uncles, spouses, kids, grandparents, you know, second cousins, twice removed. I I don't, I'm talking to you. You and me. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. The old nature. Carry your cross, which is the instrument in itself of death. Don't forget, Jesus had help carrying his cross. And that is the crucified life. The crucified life. Such a soul can proclaim exactly what Paul says. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, male, female, I don't care, but you take the first Corinthians three bunch, a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife and the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and all kinds of different things, such a person cannot say I am crucified with Christ. Oh, but it's a Bible verse, and I want to hold my I want to hang my head on this verse because I love it and I'm crucified with Christ. I don't see crucifixion. I believe in the finished work of the cross. So do I. But God's not done. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And faith can grow just like what was happening in Thessalonica. Remember, verse 3, because your faith grows exceedingly, which is beyond the ordinary, That's while being persecuted. While under tribulation, their faith was growing. For us in these last days, I want our faith to grow beyond ordinary. Even in tribulation. Understand that the flesh is a blocker to that. Your flesh, my flesh is a blocker to that. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. And the Lord sees it. And he'll respond. And by his spirit, the the gifting of the Holy Spirit, these things will be added unto you. Oh, but that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for another dispensation. That's not for this age. That was for the early church. That was for that dispensation. Such fools who say that. That the Holy Spirit doesn't work the way we see in the book of Acts. Such fools, idiotes in the Greek, those without understanding, such fools who say such a thing, quench the Holy Spirit. If they have the Spirit at all, I, it, for me, it calls into question, maybe they believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Maybe they're religious. Maybe they have religion and no relationship. Those are They don't even have oil. I mean, if that's the case, they have no oil. And if they do have oil, it's a little bit of oil, which will run out. But I speak to the living. This is a last days ministry, and I'm called to teach the living. Store your oil. And to store your oil... You need to be dead to self. You and me together, we, the ecclesia, we need to be dead to self, crucified with Christ where it is no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. I can't mandate that for anybody. I can teach it, I can exhort, I can urge, but the ball's in your court. You see, these saints in Thessalonica, they have this close intimacy with the Lord and with each other. The ecclesia, face to face. The work of faith with power. They have plenty of oil in their lamp. In verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Remember the challenge? When we we studied uh, Leviticus and the challenge to start thinking of your life as an aroma to the Lord. And what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? You see? That the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, in verse 12, and you in Him. You see? Oneness. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the saints in Thessalonica, they held tightly to the doctrine of imminency, and they were wrong then. And the Lord says, Paul, write a letter. Remember, first, Thess- first Thessalonians is Thessalon- Thessalonica proper. Second Thessalonians is not Thessalon- Thessalonica. Thessalonica proper. It's in the outskirts because they had the head for the hills mentality. We're going to live out in the boonies and wait for Jesus to arrive on the clouds. The doctrine of imminency. And this doctrine of imminency, it's still alive today. And it was wrong then. It is wrong today because there are certain indicators of things which must, must happen. Key indicators which were Definitely not in play 2,000 years ago. Give or take a couple years. But today, key indicators, which are officially in play. The signs of the times. In closing, turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 18. And in Luke chapter 18... In Luke chapter 18, the Lord is giving a parable, speaking in parables. And in Luke 18, verse 7, we see this. Luke 18, verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect? Remember, vengeance is the Lord's. We just studied that in, you know, referencing Romans 12, verse 19, and also in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, how in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Now, this persecution that is coming on the saints, and it has already come on the saints, and it's going to intensify and get worse in the last days. And in verse 7 here in Luke 18, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Very interesting. To bear long is to be long suffering because remember 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says that God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. Very interesting. It's revealed here the nature of our Lord, which aligns perfectly with the nature of God in the Torah the major prophets, the minor prophets, the epistles, the Gospels, that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Jesus Christ. If you're listening and you still haven't heeded my prior urging for you to repent and receive Jesus Christ uh, as Lord and Savior, I say to you as lovingly as I possibly can, Cut it out. Be unbelieving no more. Hit pause, listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Get in the ark. Come aboard. Welcome aboard. But I can't force that on anybody. You have to make the choice. You might be on dry ground now. You might be on another ship, but that ship is sinking. See, God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Him. Now, verse 8 breaks my heart. Jesus says, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? Whoa. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It breaks my heart. Because remember, it is prophesied that no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. And we are moving forward to that moment where no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. You know what that means? Saints are going to become apostates. There's a reason why we teach the way we teach. There's a reason why we say the things we say. There's a reason behind it to say, you know, the four categories of the last days church. The last days church is false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. It's so that you can make the distinction. Wow, I'm in a false church. Wow, I'm in an apostate church. Wow, my church is entering apostasy. It's so that you can know. Okay, it's time to hit the eject button. I'm jumping ship. I'm out of here. I've had these long conversations with saints. Beautiful, beautiful saints. Who have a hard time leaving a church. Oh, I've been to church here. You look, my children were baptized here. And I've been going to this church forever. And you know, look, I love these people. Listen. Your loyalty, your loyalty is not to a church. Your loyalty is to Jesus Christ. The Bible refers to as the last days, as perilous times. Because we we read these things, it's like, well, this is perilous. But the Bible also refers to these times as times of sorrows. Not times of sorrow or time of sorrow, plurality, times of sorrows. Sad. Because to be the remnant, there's joy in that. But there's also sorrow in that. Because of the heavy cost and what it entails... Don't forget, the days of Noah are also likened to the days of Elijah. And Elijah himself thought he was alone. But the Lord says, no, you're not alone. There are 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. You feel alone, but you're not alone. And that's the remnant. You feel alone, but you're not alone. The days of Noah are also called the days of Elijah. Elijah. Don't forget. Perilous times. Also, times of sorrows. Your loyalty, my loyalty, is to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. Not to a church. I know you have friends that you love. You tell them, Hey, our church is crazy. Pastor's crazy. Look, he's on his fifth wife. Look, he's in his first marriage, but he's going to the strippers. He's going to the gambling house, casino. Look, he's a crackhead. He's doing the Buddha. He's doing the the, the, the worshiping Mary. Pastor's crazy. Hey, guys, let's jump ship. You see, we have our, our helmet, our breastplate, our shield, our sword. Don't forget the fishing pole. Don't forget the net. Hey guys, come on. We're jumping ship. There's a reason why we say these things. Learn to make bread. Store your oil. There's a reason why because this is a last day's ministry. It's to prepare the saints for the events to come. We're going to end our study here. And pick up, Lord willing, continuing our study in the Thessalonican church, which you remember, First Thessalonians is Thessalonica proper. Second Thessalonians is Thessalonica Boonies because they they headed for the hills. Always remember that reconnoiter. Always remember because it makes a very clear distinction about the doctrine of imminency something that the saints in Thessalonica, that they adapted themselves to and adopted themselves to. That they adhered to the doctrine of imminency. And the Lord says, Paul, set them straight. I meant lovingly. You know, Paul, write them another letter. Tell them that the doctrine of imminency is wrong. You see? To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.